Lord, I thank you for this day, and I ask that you would use your word. As you've promised, it does not return void. And so as we look into your scriptures, I pray that you would use it in each heart, Lord, in each unique way, in what each person is going through, Lord, that you would show them the way that you are working in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 3. And I was blessed where I was sitting, the pew next to me, someone already had their Bible open to Luke chapter 3, anticipating it. So that's what we're encouraging you to do as we go through Luke, is to be ready on Sunday morning to have already read the scripture, to be asking questions, to, if, and if you get insights, send me an email, that will help my sermon prep, all right? And um, so let's read here. We're focusing on John the Baptist today and his ministry and what it means. And so in John chapter 3, verse 1, we'll just stay on this slide here for a little while. So John chapter 3, it, it mentions these seven rulers right off the bat that we looked at last week in the Clash of Kings. And these are a list of bad guys. We have... It says, it was in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over these other places. <laughs> Licinius was a ruler. We have Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. And then it says, at this time, a message from God came to John of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. I'll note here that the term repent in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when the kingdom of God's introduced, they say repent, for the kingdom is at hand. That's the introduction to the kingdom is this idea of repentance. And then he quotes, it says from Isaiah, verse 4, Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. As it goes on here, people then begin to ask what this repentance means. What does this kingdom of God mean? And picking up again in verse 15, it says, Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. John used many such warnings as he announced the good news to the people. John also publicly criticized Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, for marrying Herodias, his brother's wife, and for many other wrongs he had done. So Herod put John in prison, adding this sin to many others. And this is the close of his ministry, is his baptism of Jesus. It says, One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened, 
and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. So, before we start walking through some of that and focusing on Isaiah 40, which is referenced, and Psalm 2 is referenced at the very end, which help us understand this idea of kings and kingdoms. But before we get there, I want to show you this current slide. It has a picture there, and it's a map. It's one of the first maps of the Roman Empire that was produced. And I looked over this thing this last week, and the map was massive. And at the very middle of the map, there's a big golden circle, and guess who sits in that? We have Caesar sitting, all roads pointing to Rome. And the will of Caesar, the king, through those roads spread his kingdom. Where those roads went, Rome went. When they would conquer a new territory, they would build a highway in there. With that highway came armies, supplies, Roman culture, taxes. Okay? It became Roman once it was conquered through those roads. And it's interesting too, when I was looking over this map, Jerusalem was one tiny little house out of thousands. And I thought about the self-image the Romans had and the things they highlighted. The big economic centers of the world were these big castles and then everything else was put in proportion. And then in the middle, the biggest figure of them all is Caesar. And he's actually not that size. <laughs> right? He was the size of any other person, yet he saw himself and others saw himself as big. And so, that's a little context here as we then look at our next slide. As John the Baptist begins his ministry, he quotes here from Isaiah 40. And we'll go to the first verse here. He quotes that verse from Isaiah 40. He says, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway for him. Fill in valleys and level the mountains. Straighten the curves. Smooth out the rough places. He's talking about making a road. Because the king is coming. And where John was baptizing on the Jordan River, along the Jordan ran what's called the King's Highway. One of the oldest roads of all time. The Sumerians and the Mesopotamian empires would use this road to connect to Egypt. And it was a big deal. It had been around for a long time. And so the area where he is, he's basically pointing out, I don't know what the condition of that road was. Maybe there was bridge construction Okay, maybe there's obstacles in the way, but he points over at the road and says, make way for the king. The Lord is coming. And they're used to this emperor being king, but he's announcing a new king. We're going to come back to Isaiah 40 at the very end. But next I'd like to transition in the next slide. All right, so he's making a statement that God is king, okay? Not Caesar. Not the person with the biggest uh, image on the map. 
but that God is at the center here and that God is bringing his highways to each and every life. Just as the Romans would conquer a territory and then bring a highway to make it more Roman, he's saying God is on the move. He is victorious. And he is going to make them more godly. He's going to make the kingdom more evident in their lives. And I don't know about you, but I desperately want that in my life. I want to be more like God. I want more of his kingdom. Because I'm sick and tired of everything else, right? I think John the Baptist felt that. At the end of the passage we read, he announced that there's a new king in town, right? That God is on the move. And at the very end, he's put in jail by one of those kings. And later on, he gets discouraged and he even reaches out to Jesus and he goes, can you just remind me? Are you the one we're waiting for or not? Because it doesn't feel like it because I'm suffering right now. Can you please remind me? Jesus again quotes from the Old Testament, reminding John that yes, it may not look as the world does it, but the kingdom is on the move. The highways are being built as God works in each and every life. And it doesn't necessarily get on the news, okay? You don't usually see news articles saying, this just in, God at work in Robbie's life, <laughs> okay? Usually hear about what a big iconic figure decided at what's considered the center of the universe. God is on the move. And as John mentions here in chapter 3, with a victorious king, there's going to be winners, and that's good news. And there's going to be losers when a king wins, right? I mean, how does a king win without losers? And John is saying, repent. Clear the way for the Lord. He's advancing one way or another. Don't stand in his way, all right? Saying, repent. Make your heart ready for the Lord. And a lot of people didn't. A lot of people didn't. Jesus came to bring his kingdom and a lot of people, their hearts, right off the bat, were not ready to listen. The kingdom was advancing and many people did not see or recognize Jesus when he visited them. They did not prepare the way. Let's go to the next slide. We're in Psalm 2. So when Jesus gets baptized, right after John the Baptist gets put in jail, I, my heart just rejoices. I'm like, okay, Jesus, get after it here, right? Because <laughs> John's in trouble. <laughs> and so John, it notes the story of Jesus being baptized. He's filled with prayer, filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit descends on him, and this voice from heaven declares, This is my Son in whom I love. 
And so I wondered, what is that referring to? Often these things refer to something in the Old Testament. In Psalm 2. And Psalm 2 is 12 chapters. And it is just wonderful. And it almost gives a conclusion to the tension we had last week in the Clash of Kings sermon. And so let's go here to Psalm 2 and read through it, these first three verses. It says this. It says, Why are the nations so angry, and why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. This picks up on last week, this cosmic battle where there's, there's kings that are clashing against King Almighty. We, we feel that. We sense that in our lives, that clashing. And here it says, what a futile effort they make in doing so. Picking up then in verse 4. It says, but the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on my holy mountain. Verse 7. It says, The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. That's what's being alluded to at the baptism of Jesus, is that this is going to be the one that sits on the throne, that laughs at the kings of the world. It says, Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. The whole earth is your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. And in closing, verse 10, it says, now then. So what are we going to do about this information? If you believe that's true, what's the application? It says, now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. It says to do three things. Serve the Lord with reverent fear. Rejoice with trembling. And submit to God's royal Son, or he will become angry, and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities. For his anger flares up in an instant. But what joy for all who take refuge in him. Amen. This Jesus who goes on to sit on the throne, he wins. He mentions in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, he tells his disciples, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And I give you authority over all the powers of the enemy. This Jesus, he wins. He proves it as he begins his ministry in Luke 4. He goes around and starts casting out demons. And if you notice, they don't really put up much of a fight. They're actually terrified to see Jesus. And he just tells them, be quiet, get out of here. And he heals the sick. Not only does he have the victory spiritually, 
but he has the victory physically over all of his creation that he has made. He has the victory. And when someone was sick, he tells them, be well. And they were. The highway of the king is bringing the kingdom for those whose hearts are open to him. Go to the next slide, please. This king, he's not just king over the Roman Empire. He wasn't just born 2,000 years ago. This king says he saw Satan fall. This king is an eternal king. Not just the future, but in the past as well. This king had no beginning and has no end. This king, we can't even map his kingdom. There are billions, I think I read 100 to 200 billion observable galaxies with estimated trillions more. And galaxies have billions of suns and stars. We can't even map His kingdom. I think about that initial image of the Roman Empire. I was blown away just how massive it was. Thousands and thousands of these little Little huts on the map showing places like Jerusalem, which I thought was a big deal. The Romans didn't think so. And the idea of the emperor going to one of them, first of all, why does he need to leave Rome? I mean, that's where the tribute's coming into. That's a comfortable spot. He doesn't need anything from Jerusalem. So an announcement that the king is coming to visit is a big deal. I think of the eternal king with the kingdom that we can't even map. Choosing to come to me. Why? Isn't that the beauty of the gospel is that there's no answer to why he loves me. I know that he does. I see it in the Scriptures that He does. I see it in my life as His Spirit impresses upon my heart His presence. I see it in my life as His people pour out love into my life. There's no such thing as a good or loving thing that comes to us that doesn't come from the Father. Anyone who has ever loved you with genuine love, that's come from God. He wants a road into your life. He wants to bring his kingdom. The creator wants to visit. And we are called to serve the Lord, to rejoice with trembling, and to submit to God's royal son.
I want to close in reading the rest of Isaiah 40 for you. If you remember, the beginning of Isaiah 40 begins with this statement of make clear the road for the Lord, right? Prepare the highway for the King because He's coming. I'm going to pick up in verse 9 of Isaiah 40. It says, O Zion, messenger of good news, shout it from the mountaintops. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Tell that to your problems in your life. Shout it out. Say, my God is coming. His highway is established. He is bringing his salvation to me. My God is coming. The Lion of Judah is not absent. The Lord works in mysterious ways, but He is there for each of you. His authority is established over the things that you fear. Continues, it says in verse 10, Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. So this king, it mentions, is holding his people in his hands with tenderness and kindness and compassion. And in verse 12, it goes on to share that these loving hands are strong. It says, Who else has held oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the Spirit of the Lord who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? In other words, does the emperor really need to visit Jerusalem? No, he has what he needs. Did the king need to die on a cross for you? Did he need you? No. That's the wonder of it all. The wonder of it all that Christ loves us. Continuing verse 14, does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? No, verse 15 says, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. All the wood in Lebanon's forests, all the Lebanon's animals would not be enough to make a burnt offering worthy of our God. The nations of the world are worth nothing to him. In his eyes they count for less than nothing, mere emptiness and froth. To whom can you compare God? What, can you, what image can you find to resemble him? Can he compare it to an idol formed in a mold, overlaid with gold, and decorated with silver chains? 
or if people are too poor for that, they might at least choose wood that won't decay and a skilled craftsman to carve an image that won't fall down. Haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God? The words he gave before the world began? Are you so ignorant? For God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world and tells them all to nothing and brings them all to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root. When he blows on them and they wither, the wind carries them off like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? asks the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created these stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. O Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? O Israel, how can you say God ignores you and your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak. We're going to look at this next week as we turn the corner into Luke chapters 5 and 6. What his kingdom looks like. It says, He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired. And young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. Who here today is trusting in the Lord? Say amen. amen. Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Who knew that short sentence when Jesus was baptized meant all of that? Unless you're willing to look into the Word with faith, you miss it. You miss all of that. Go to the next slide here. Unless your heart is prepared in repentance... It's as if your phone rings and it's a telemarketer and you don't pick it up. And when your spouse said, did anyone call you today? You say, nope. (laughs) But when you have a heart that's soft, a heart that says, you know what, God, I don't know where you're going to lead me or what you're going to call me to do. But I'm already saying yes. And if you're not there yet, you can pray for that. Say, God, please soften my heart. Open my eyes and my ears to hear your voice. Bring your kingdom here. Make clear the road. Because I need you ever so much. There's a play on words in a gospel track called The Roman's Road and The Path to Salvation. 
starts off with Romans 3.23 that says, For all of us sin and fall short of the gospel of God. There's a sin problem. There's an obstacle in the way where we don't hear from God. Where our hard hearts resist what He is doing. But that road continues. It says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates His love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 23, that these wages of sin are its death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Lord, you will be saved. God, at great cost to himself, died on the cross and rose from the dead that his kingdom might come to you. Let us each make way for the King. Let's take a lesson from the futility of kings that rage war against the Lord, (laughs) to which he laughs, to which he says, have they never heard? Don't they ever wonder where the stars came from? Don't they ever consider their beginning and their end? So, the beginning of the gospel, it starts with preparing the way for the Lord. May we do that as a church. I look at your faces and I have love for each of you. God wants to bring good things to your life. You can trust that as we make way for the King. Let's pray. Lord, we are so desperate in need for your kingdom. And Lord, we're unable to even clear the path for you. But Lord, The sin that was the obstacle, Lord, you took care of yourself. Lord, soften our hearts in in repentance to make way for your kingdom in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.